This morning's scripture comes from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 11. We um, will be looking at or thinking about the whole story of Lazarus and Mary and Martha in this chapter really begins at verse 1 and, and goes through verse 45. But I'm just going to begin this morning by uh, reading uh, verses 43 and, and 44. So follow along with me as we encounter God's word together. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth, come out. The dead man came out, hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take the grave clothes off and let him go. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father God, I pray that you would take this uh, passage from your word. And Lord, that you would use it uh, in our lives to mold us and to make us more like Jesus. That you would use it in this time that we're going through to ensure that we don't waste the opportunities that you've given us. That we are... Uh, alert and awake and aware of what you want us to see and do as we as the world around us suffers in so many ways mentally and and, and physically economically god help us to be your light we pray and we ask these Hopefully each of you do as well. I mean, hopefully you have some things, some things you're going to try to do and not going to try to do. And, and maybe, maybe you have love God and love people and, and, and you have these other things that, that you're going to do and that you're not going to do. And you've, you've kind of made up your mind about these things and this is the way you're going to live. And, and we all have those top level things, you know, uh, talking about, uh, God and about family and about character and and, and you goes goes on down the line and there's some other things that most of us have on our list if we had a list of here's the way I'm going to live my life um, these things aren't so major but we have a set opinion of them uh, for me one of those is I don't start unfinished series of books I just I just get so frustrated uh, whenever I, I start a series, and I'm, man, this is great, can't wait to get to the next one. And then I go, and, and, and Amazon says, oh, this one is expected, the sequel in 2023. We hope you will enjoy it when it comes out then. I accidentally messed up and, and, and didn't follow this rule recently. I started a series of books, and when I started, it was on number nine, and I thought that it was uh, finishing at ten books. So I haven't been going through these every day, but over the course of a year, I would, you know, read here and there when I had time, and I got to that, what I thought was the end, and I found out it's planned as a series of 20 books. I may not live long enough to see that series completed. The author may not live long enough. In fact, there's countless examples of folks who started books and never finished, 
And, and so uh, we look back and, you know, most of the great authors over time, Charles Dickens or, or, you know, other folks like that, they've started a last novel. We didn't see Token, the last thing that, you know, all of these folks, they started something and they never finished. And, and that can be frustrating to see an unfinished story. But unfinished stories are also an opportunity. In fact, uh, those, those unfinished stories are, are often uh, published these days. Uh, you choose your ending. And whether it's a, a book or an ebook or even a video game, the idea is here's the basic story, but, but you get to choose how it ends. This morning I want to talk about Lazarus' story. I think it's a familiar story for those of us who are Christians, for those of us who have uh, been around in church circles for a while, but it's an unfinished story. And I think as we look at his story, how it begins, we can, uh, afterward, we can start to guess and to think how it would end. And that brings us to looking internally as well. How will our stories end? So the story in, in John 11, it begins uh, telling us a basic fact. Lazarus was sick. Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, they lived together in Bethany, a little town uh, just a couple of miles away from Jerusalem. And, and Jesus was especially close to this family. You know, I, I don't understand all the, the, quote, rules of Jesus' life, how they worked out. We know that Jesus loves us, God to love the world, and yet there seemed to be people uh, that Jesus got closer to than others. I mean, even among the disciples, we know that there was a group of 70 uh, who were really intensely close, much more than the broad crowds, and, and then there was the 12, and then even there, there was the three, Peter, James, and John. And so Jesus ended up focusing more time in certain folks. Not that he loved people any less, but he was really close uh, to Lazarus and Mary and Martha. So he gets, um, he gets word that they're sick, that Lazarus is sick. And so a discussion seems to begin of what are we going to do? Jesus says, well, it's okay, folks talking to his disciples, guys, it's all right. Uh, this sickness will not end in death. Uh, he's, just, he's just sleeping. And they're like, oh, well, I'm glad he's getting some um, good sleep. He's getting some rest. He's going to get better then. And Jesus says, guys, I, I didn't mean sleeping in that way. I mean, he's passed. He's gone on. Well, we're going to go back anyway to that area, because they had gone back uh, to their, their town, their area, and, and they had gone away from Judea where Bethany was. And so they start saying, Jesus, why? Why would we go back? I mean, you've, you know, you, you've said that he's, that he's dead, and, and more than that, remember the last time you were in that area of Judea? Those folks tried to stone you. They're out for blood. They, they want to take your life. Jesus wasn't deterred uh, by these words. 
And he basically said, hey, the light is, has its time, the dark has its time, but the light is going to shine right here. And, and in other words, Jesus said, you know, the, all the bad folks can do all of the things that they want to do. They can try to persecute me. They can try to even kill me. But God and his mission in my life is going to proceed. And so then Thomas speaks up, the one we call Doubting Thomas. How would you like to be remembered for the one big failure of your life? The one time you really messed up. That's how we remember him. We don't remember him in this passage. But in John 11, Thomas says, well, let's go with him and we'll die with him. In other words, Jesus, I am with you. We're probably all going to die. It's not going to be, you know, Rome is not going to be uh, okay with just taking out Jesus. He's get, they're going to want to take out all of us. Uh, the religious leaders, they want to totally get rid of us, and we're probably going to die. But I'm with you, Jesus. I'm walking right into that potential stoning or whatever form of death. Thomas was an intensely brave person, and we just remember him for doubting. Well, he goes along and he makes that journey. And somehow as they begin to get close to Bethany, word travels faster than they're walking. And, and word gets to the sisters that Jesus uh, is almost there. He's on the outskirts or the edge of town. And Mary and Martha, remember, they have very different personalities. Uh, and, and Mary says, I'm going to stay home and just keep on you know, grieving or doing whatever she was doing at home. But Martha says, you know, Martha was that type A personality. Martha says, I'm going to go see Jesus. I'm going to meet him. I'm going to address him first. And she goes and she meets Jesus on the outskirts of town. And she immediately, uh, you could almost say confronts him. She talks to him and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. God, I wish you'd been here. If only. I know what you could have done, but you didn't do and if we're honest, we've all had those questions in our lives. Even those of us who say, I am sure and secure in my faith. I believe that God's got a plan and I don't see it. I understand that there's bad things in this world that happen, not just because of individual people's uh, sin and wrongdoing, but also just because we live in a messed up and sinful world. And, and, and that explanation for bad things, it kind of helps us until sometimes the tragedy hits us. And then it doesn't feel so good. Sometimes then we say, well, God, I know all that. I understand all that, that we're all sinners and we lived in a sinful and messed up world. But God, I know that sometimes you intervene. Sometimes, God, you choose to act and, and, and make things better. But you didn't in my case. And if we're honest, almost all of us have, have had those kind of thoughts and questions in our mind at some point. And Martha just comes out and says it, though. He's, he says that, okay, Martha, your brother's going to rise again. 
And she quotes her theology. She's got it right. She says, I know that he will rise again on the last day in the resurrection. In other words, yes, I believe that one day all those who know God, uh, they're going to be raised to life again. And while her theology was correct, Jesus wanted her to understand that there was so much more to to, to grasp in this situation. She's looking at the resurrection as an event. Jesus says the resurrection is a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And so he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He wants her to understand that it's just not some future thing that's going to take place or going to happen. That the person of Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the resurrection. And that's important for us. Keep that in your mind because we'll come back to it. He says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And then I love her words. She says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. She understands that her focus has to shift from what's going to happen one day to the person of Jesus Christ who is right in front of you. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. So she goes back and she, she tells uh, her other sister Mary, who had stayed at the house with all those who were gathered around, and they were weeping and they were mourning over, uh, over Lazarus' death. And she, she goes and she whispers, Hey, Jesus is here. You need to come. She doesn't announce it to the whole crowd. She just tells Mary. And so Mary gets up quickly and she begins to head out. She begins to, to go to that place to find Jesus. Well, everybody else, they, they see this, and they could say, well, she didn't invite us. Uh, you know, uh, I guess we'll just hang here. But no, they decide we can't. You know, they, they are not going to let her grieve alone. In fact, in their minds, they say she got up and she's so sad and upset. If she leaves her house, where could she be going? The, the only place we could think of, she must be going to spend some time Uh, at Lazarus' graveside. And they said, we're not going to let her suffer. We're not going to let her uh, be alone in her sorrow. And by the way, your presence is one of the most wonderful gifts that you can give people when they're suffering. Sometimes we make uh, fools of ourselves. (laughs) We put our foot in our mouth big time just because we think, I've got to think of something clever and spiritual and wonderful to say that's going to make it all better and and we make things worse trying to do that because sometimes we just simply need to be there our presence communicates volumes for those who are in need i know we almost take that for granted but i want to tell you don't do that don't take that for granted uh, this past week, I had the honor of officiating uh, a funeral, the funeral for Miss Ruth Pons, one of the sweetest and, and kindest uh, ladies I've ever known. But this is the days of the coronavirus. And so everything is different, even funerals. And so there was no visitation 
There was no uh, public gathering service, whether at a church or at a funeral home. There was only a graveside service, and even that was limited to myself, a couple of folks from Lowndes County Funeral Home, and a very small part of the family. Children, the spouses, and one of the grandchildren. And that was it. And I thought, wow, all of the folks that would have been surrounding them right now, they would have showed up, you know, out of visitation, and they would have they would have gathered around them at a funeral service and followed them to the graveside. Right now they can't. And so don't take it for granted when you have the opportunity. Right now we're in the whole social distancing and the and the keeping of less than ten. But we can reach out uh, through other means, calls and texts and messages. Maybe even some of us will remember the old post office, the postal service, and we might even write a letter or two to just let folks know we're here, we love you, we care. But that physical presence means so much. Well, going on, they follow Mary as she heads out. And so whenever she comes to see Jesus, she has a similar um, question or or comment, uh, a similar response. But she was the more emotional uh, one. And so where where Martha says, hey, God, I, I know you could, Jesus, you could have raised him from the dead. Listen to verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She fell at his feet. She is overwhelmed by sorrow and sadness. And the Bible says that Jesus, seeing her weeping, is deeply moved. In fact, there's some connotation to that word in the original Greek that it's it's almost anger aroused. There is something within him that is driving him. You know, Jesus got angry. The Bible says, uh, in your anger, don't sin. We often fall into sin when we get angry. But Jesus' anger here was not a sinful one. It was an anger at the things in life that are not the way they were supposed to do. And so when we see death, when we see injustice, when we see abuse, when we see all the things that are not right and in our hearts and in our spirits, we know they're not right. They bring out anger in us at times. John eleven thirty five 35 is... The shortest and yet one of the most profound verses in the entire Bible. It simply says, Jesus wept. And I think those were angry tears. Some of you know what that is. I I don't think I've ever, I've been angry a lot in my life and I've certainly shed a few tears in my life. I'm not sure that I've ever had an angry cry, but I know certain people who do. When they cry, you don't necessarily want to go put your arm around them. You might want to stay back because when they cry, they're angry. And 
And Jesus was angry at the wrongness of the suffering and the death and what had happened. Because he of all people knew this was not the way things were supposed to be. And so he asked in verse 34, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And when the folks around see Jesus weep, listen to their response. Then the Jews said, see how he loved them. Wow. Jesus deeply loved those around him. And Mary and Martha were very close. And and his tears obviously showed the love. But guess what? Not everyone saw it that way. Because the Bible says, on the other hand, some of them said, well, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have saved this man? I want to tell you right now, if you're doing anything good, if you're making any effort, if you're out there in any way trying to help people, trying to do the right thing, I can guarantee there's going to be at least one person who's going to misunderstand you and your motives. And they're going to judge you. Well, what about this? And what about that? And, and they're, you know, they're going to see the wrong thing. And you know what? There's nothing you can do about that except keep on doing the right thing. Keep on loving. Keep on living the way God has called you to live. And so they take him there to the tomb. It was a cave with the stone laid across it, very common in that time. We, we know about that. We had the pictures in our head because of Jesus' tomb that had a stone rolled in front of it. And so he tells them, take away the stone. And Martha, again, always the practical one, says, Jesus, she thinks, She's just seen this emotion that he's gone through, and she thinks he must be overwhelmed with grief. He must be out of his mind. Something's wrong. He's not thinking. Jesus, if we roll away this stone, he's been dead four days. The stench will be unbelievable. Jesus said, I told you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God displayed. After that, apparently, everyone said, okay. And the Bible says that they rolled away that stone. And Jesus, in a loud voice, called out, Lazarus, come forth. And there he stumbles out. And I say stumbles because not only does he have all the normal clothes that he would have on him for burial, but in addition, his hands and feet were wrapped up in linen cloths, and, and then there was a shroud over his face. Can you imagine him wondering, getting, working his way out? And Jesus says, he tells them to take that stuff off. Take off the grave clothes. And let him go. And that's the story. Lazarus come forth. That's the story as we know it. And many of us see that as the end of the story. That is the triumphant end, we think. Jesus commanded him. He came out. 
And that was it. But not really. We know a little bit more about his story. Because the Bible tells us that many begin who had not yet believed in Jesus. That they believed because of what they saw. Of this miracle that occurred. And, and then even his own disciples grew in their faith. I didn't read all these verses, but early on Jesus told his disciples, I'm doing this for you so that you will believe. Now the Gospel of John, over and over, there's several times Jesus does things for his disciples. He works, works, he displays himself in different ways, and he says, this is so that you will believe. And you see that over and over and over. It's not that Jesus is seeing his disciples and, oh, you're unbelievers, now you're going to believe. Oh, you're unbelievers, now you're going to believe. Or that they had lost their faith and now they're going to get it again. It's that Jesus wanted them to experience a deeper and deeper and closer walk and relationship with him. And so everything he did was helping them move from here to here to here to closer and closer with God. Well, we hear that some people believe because of Lazarus, but we also believe, we also hear, that not only were there many who believed, but the same folks who wanted to kill Jesus, who had just tried to have him stoned, those who had tried to, to attack him and to destroy him, not only did they want to do that to him, but they... They started saying, we need to get rid of this Lazarus guy, too. Because what he says and what he does, he is a living, breathing, walking advertisement for Jesus. we got to get rid of him if we're going to get rid of this whole Christian thing, this whole Jesus thing. I wonder if, if it was illegal to be a Christian, to show your faith in Jesus Christ. Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would the judge and the jury look at you and say, absolutely, positively, they're a Christian. Guilty as charged. Or would there be a hung jury? Would there be a, well, maybe she is. Maybe he is. He does some religious stuff, but maybe not. Each of us have to ask ourselves, when the world looks at us, do they see the unmistakable touch of Christ's hand upon our lives? That was Lazarus. Just in living, his story was to attract others. But you know, after that, we don't really hear anything else about Lazarus. We, we don't hear where he was in the book of Acts. Or, you know, we don't hear where he was in, in other places. His story just kind of stops there, and we're left to wonder. You know, the Bible actually does that a lot. We get to the book of Acts where it's all about the early church and all that God is doing, and, you know, it begins with the apostles and and the day of Pentecost and, and the things that, that how the church is growing. And we hear a lot about Peter and, and other apostles. And, 
And then it kind of moves on, and as the gospel grows and reaches different places, the focus shifts, and it moves toward the Apostle Paul, who is the the missionary to the Gentiles, the apostle to all of us non-Jewish folks out there. And we see the story, and it grows and grows and grows. And chapter 28, it just kind of stops. But the story has never stopped. The story keeps on going. The story keeps on moving of what Christ does throughout um, this world. And it has continued generation upon generation, and it comes to us. How's your story? What is it saying? Your story has started, but it has not finished if you're watching, listening to this today. And some of you say, well, yeah, I have a story, but I'm not like Lazarus. I mean, I wasn't dead and then raised back to life. He, you know, we're, we're so different. Well, according to the Bible, you aren't so different at all. The witness of the New Testament is that we who are believers have, in fact, died. And we have been raised to life again. The Apostle Paul put this most succinctly in Galatians 2.20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. And therefore, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and saved me. In other words, every single one of us who are believers, we have been crucified with Christ. We died with him. And the life we live is a raised up life. And the question is, after we have experienced the resurrection, and by the way, a greater resurrection than Lazarus experienced physically. Because he's not around anymore, right? I mean, that would be great if we could call somebody and say, hey, we want to book Lazarus to come. uh, And uh, we'll have to make it a uh, a live stream right now, a broadcast, because people can't see him in person. But we're going to put him on here. We're going to let him tell a story. He's not around anymore. So that means at some point he physically died again. But the resurrection, the spiritual resurrection that you and I have, goes back to what Jesus said to Martha. He said, those who live and believe in me will never die. He was speaking spiritually. That when we have been reborn, we have died to the old way of living, and Christ has brought us back. He has resurrected us to a new life where we live in him. That that's forever. We don't know exactly how Lazarus' story ended any more than you and I know how our stories are going to end. But here's the big difference. We have no control over Lazarus' story. It's done. It's, it's finished. It's history. But our stories are yet to be told. They have not yet been finished. We've had the big event. Those of us who are believers, we've hit that great point in the story where we have been resurrected with Jesus Christ. That is, we've been born again. We have new life in Christ. But the world is yet to see what we will do with that new life. 
Your story, like Lazarus, is unfinished. But with your story, you've been called to finish it in a way that honors God. And so just like Jesus looked at Lazarus and called him to come forth and told everybody, hey, get all that junk all off of him, God called your name, whatever it is. Cindy or Brad or Charlie or Mark or Becky or whoever you are, come forth. He's called you by name and he's invited you into his kingdom. And you, those of you who have received that gift, the Bible says you've been called from death into life. So the question today is how will your story finish? What will you do with the life that you've been given? Let's pray. God, we thank you that your word tells us that we have a sure and certain foundation in Jesus Christ. Father, that we have a a way to know you, a way to escape the shackles of sin and shame, and a way to embrace the abundant life that you have called us to live. God, I pray that my story and the story of each person here today and those who are watching today or even another day, Lord, that we would choose to let our story be one that continues to honor and glorify you. Even as we struggle, even as we doubt, even as we have fear and heartache and sadness, all these different things, Father. May we continue to trust and to believe. May our story be one that honors you. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.